Why don't you stand with me to your feet as we get ready to read and honor God's word together. We are, as promised, kicking off a brand new series called The Great Awakening. Turn your neighbor and say, it's going to be great because it's an awakening. We're going through the book of Acts. How many of you have read the book of Acts before? How many of you like the book of Acts? Any book of Acts fans out there one time for the book of Acts? We love the book of Acts here at Greenhouse. It's a good one. Buckle your seatbelts and get ready. We're going to start this morning in the very beginning of the book of Acts. Very apropos. Acts chapter 1. I do have to bemoan the fact that the Miami Dolphins did indeed prove to be the Miami Dolphins, snatching defeat from the clutches of victory. As we tend to do, blessed are those who suffer long, for they will be comforted. Please, Lord, you see your people. We do have a chance to defeat the evil empire and join with all the host of heaven in seeing Bill Belichick come to his knees in repentance and humility. So that'll be glorious. Otherwise, let's read the Bible. If you're ready, say, let's do this. Here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, this is our boy Luke writing, who wrote the book of Luke. He is now writing Acts. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Put a pin in it, because that's where we'll stop this morning and join me as we pray. Jesus, awaken our hearts and speak to us this morning in the room, online, Guyana and beyond, wherever people are watching, Lord, by your spirit, do something amazing. And if you agree with that, say amen. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five, an elbow bump, a smooch on the cheek. If you're married, you could even go on the lips. I remember when I first started reading the book of Acts. I still remember it. It was the summer before my senior year of high school right here in South Florida. I had run my life into the ground with drugs and partying and a whole bunch of foolishness and Jesus rescued me and I was hungry for the Bible. Any of you remember when you first met Jesus, you were just hungry for the Bible. Lord, keep us there. I was hungry for the Bible. I started reading the gospels. I started reading through the book of Acts and I was crazy enough and naive enough to just believe what it said. Imagine that. The Bible starts talking about you're going to lay hands on sick people, Jesus said, and they'll recover. So three weeks into going to this church, someone came up for prayer, and my friend's mom, who was a pastor's wife, said, you pray for him. And he's like, I was like, hey, bro, what's going on? He's like, I got this hernia on my side, and he lifts up his shirt. I was like, whoa, 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 okay, <laughs> I don't know what this was about. And he had this big old thing, and he's like, I want you to pray for me. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I pray for him three weeks into Jesus. The thing goes zoop, right back up into his side, freaked me out. I was like, whoa, this is real true story. So we start going, you read through the book of Acts. I mean, they're laying hands on people. Peter's, you know, Peter and Paul, Peter's snot rags are healing people and it's, it's wild and it's crazy. So we start going into grocery stores and we're just on the hunt. Like where, where's somebody in a wheelchair at? Where's a sick person at? Oh yeah. We're like some crazy Jesus people. Cause we read it in the Bible. We read it in the book of Acts. We read it in the gospel. We're like, man, this is what Jesus said. And then we had this strange custom begin happening. We had people start coming up to us. They were young and they were old and they would say things like, man, I oh, bless you. I remember when I was young and passionate like that. I remember when I used to have a fire like that. And it was almost like, bless your heart, you'll learn. And I remember when we started to learn that Christianity in America, it, it, it doesn't look like that anymore. It's, it's more dignified. 
It's more refined. If we're being fully circumspect, it's a lot more boring. Because, you know, I, I mean, God did that. Yeah, I mean, God, John, God said that, but I mean, it, it just doesn't happen anymore. Thank God for our family of God across the globe who have a robustness of faith that has consistently revitalized me. I feel like the paddle shock in the spiritual ER. Clear, oh yeah, Jesus. The book of Acts, the Bible. Oh yeah, he does this still. But I remember when my own heart began to drift and settle into this variant of gospel called American Christianity. And I think for all of us in this season, we've sort of realized it's not really working as advertised with our kids, with our coworkers, with our family members. What do we need? We need an awakening. We need the book of Acts. Our division, our dream is to be a book of Acts church in the 21st century. We believe that in the book of Acts, God is not just teasing us with what will never be again, the heavenly nanny nanny boo boo from the skies. You can't have this. God is actually inviting us quite to the contrary to dream with him once again. Check this, and this is the whole premise of the series. Because if God did it before, he can do it. Come on. Because if he did it before... He could do it again. He could do it again. And he's inviting us through acts to dare him to move. The book of Acts, as I mentioned, according to Bible scholars and church history, was written by Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. He was a physician. He is the one who penned the gospel of Luke. In some of your Bibles, it might say the acts of the Holy Spirit, but Bible commentators have said it's much more apropos or appropriate to say the acts, sorry, the acts of the apostles, but it's much more appropriate, the acts of the Holy Spirit, because he's moving all throughout the pages of Acts. But Luke kicks off the book of Acts with a very curious clue. He says in verse one, you almost miss it. In my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You're like, wait a second, Luke, you're, you're writing a book after Jesus just died and you're talking about beginnings. This, it doesn't quite make sense to be a book about beginnings. I thought this was a book about endings. Jesus just died. He, he just left the earth, but he left the earth to go where? Back up to the father, interceding at the right hand, scripture tells us. See, Jesus had left the earth, but his kingdom, everybody say kingdom. His kingdom is just beginning to spread. And this is very good news for them back then, and it is very good news for us right now. Here's why this matters. Our world is in trouble. Can I get an amen? You're like, I don't know if I can amen anything in church, but I can amen that one. Our world is in trouble, and we are longing for answers that only an awakening can solve. We are longing for answers that only a revival can truly and deeply remedy. What do you mean? I'll get to it. Because there's one more important word that Luke tosses out that we cannot miss right at the very beginning. He says, Theophilus, here, I want to give you an account of all that Jesus did and began to do and teach. I want to give you an account of all that Jesus began to do 
often if we're not careful when we think about Jesus or the way of Jesus or Christianity, we think about a, uh, an ideology, a religion, a path that's all about good thoughts, great ideas, inspiring theories. You're like, John, that's all well and good, and I'm here, and yeah, amen, rah, rah, rah. But when we go back out into the real world, the real world doesn't just need good ideas and theories. The real world needs change. Amen? We need real change. We need societal change. We need actual, real deal change, transformation. So what does this way of Jesus awakening actually do? You see where Luke goes. I want to tell you about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Here's the current tension. We're in the midst of a moment where across the board, whether you have righteousness advocates advocating morality and a shift in morality or justice advocate, advocates advocating a shift in how things are practiced here on earth, we have a world full of activists. And in the midst of all of our best efforts and striving, nothing is changing. We look at the stats. The stats aren't really changing. We look at our world. Our world isn't really changing, or it is changing, but it's going backwards, not forwards. And we feel the frustration of the futility of our own efforts. Our world is in trouble. And we bemoan this fact on social media, and we complain about it with our friend groups. Why can't people just stop being so racist? Why can't people stop being evil? Why can't people just stop stealing, stop aborting, stop trafficking? Why can't we just treat people with equity and justice? See, we want change and it's not wrong, it's from God. We long for transformation, but history tells us that transformation has a name and it's possible. It's called an awakening. It's called an awakening. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky theory. It's not just some idealistic spiritual theory that lives up in the realm of the cosmos. Data confirms that real change happens when the masses encounter a real God and come to him in true humility and repentance. This is not just some ideological shift in the theory of our minds. We have seen it happen before. And what began in the book of Acts, this great awakening, has struck and profoundly changed modern history over and over and over again. I'm talking about real life. Real history, real change that shifted countries and it shifted nations and it shifted continents. And if he did it before, guess what? He can do it again. Welcome to the awakening. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do this thing. Come on. Come on. One, one major premise here at the very beginning of this series, and then we'll unpack it over the next several weeks together, but I think we need to get on the same page with the first point, and the first point is this. What is an awakening? You can ask your neighbor, because that's probably a good question. You say, neighbor, what is an awakening? What is an awakening? What in the world is this crazy white boy talking about? All right. An awakening has been called lots of things throughout antiquity and modern history. We'll call it a move of God, a renewal a revival, but what is it? What is an awakening? Here's my operating definition. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down, piece of paper, your iPhone, or your Android, and I'll pray for you to repent afterwards. Here we go. Here's the definition of awakening. No! Here's the definition of awakening. When God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven to a mass 
of the people or population. My operating definition for awakening is when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven to a mass of the people or population. Now, obviously, if that sounds familiar, Jesus taught us to pray like this, right? His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in Sweet, all seven of y'all are with me. No, that's, that's good, that's great. I'm feeling the love right now. Jesus taught us to pray for this. This is something we long for. We wanna see it in our cities, in our neighborhoods, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family members, in our lifetime. And, and this kingdom of God, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God was actually the core subject of Jesus' teaching and preaching. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, if you want a simple definition, it means the rule and reign of God is available right now. That's the kingdom of God. What would it look like if God was the CEO of my business? What would it look like if God was the president and chief executive officer of our family? What if it would it look like if God was running our company, the kingdom of God? Now, we've often called this awakening throughout history, revival, which comes from the idea of re being again or vive to bring to life. But but when we talk about revival, when we talk about this great awakening, the key delineating factor is this is not isolated incidents in individuals. We're talking about a mass of people. Acts chronicles the first great spread, if you want to use the nomenclature of the day, of this great awakening. And we've continued to see this happen throughout modern history all across the world. When we're talking book of Acts in the 21st century, I need you to understand we're not talking about something that has not happened, even about something that has not happened in America, because it has. We're saying, God, do it again. We've got some incredible examples throughout history, people like the Moravians, things like the Welsh Revival, the Wesleyan Revival, the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Argentinian Revival in the 1980s and 1990s, which was the longest ever, the Azusa Street Revival. These modern awakenings have been well-documented and they seem to follow a consistent path or a consistent pattern as God's kingdom comes to earth. Would you like to know what that pattern is? I'm gonna tell you anyway, so I'm glad three of you said yes. Here it is. The pattern of awakening, the pattern of revival looks like this. Things stink, people pray, fear of the Lord and repentance hit, which brings about revival, which leads to righteousness and justice. Things stink, people pray, fear of the Lord and repentance come, which brings revival, which leads to righteousness and justice. We see this over and over and over again. This spans countries and continents. When an awakening takes place, you can bank on it. This ends up being the path. Maybe it's not always perfectly linear because you've got lots of people involved, but this ends up being the path. I want us to walk through this so we have a thorough understanding of what it might look like for awakening to begin in us and for God to maybe, if he wills, please, Lord, bring about an awakening through us. Point number one, things stink. Anybody, we amen on that one? We're all pretty. If there's one benefit of the hell that has been this global pandemic, it's that we are all uniformly like, please God. Yes, all, anything, everything, please. Just have, like, we are, we are maybe possibly in a place where we might actually say, see, here's one of the problems. In America, the, the rest of our family, pretty much the global body of Christ around the world has been in this spot for a long time, to be clear. 
I talked to missionary Benson. Missionary Benson's like, hey, man, my wife just died because when, it, when there was persecution and then it blockade and then medical care. And then, I mean, the rest of the family of God has been, you wonder why they have most ro- more robust prayer lives than us? Because they actually feel the need to pray. Revival starts, awakening starts when we realize, whoa, we need God. How many of you realize that right now? Yeah, we're in a great spot for God to move. Things stink, we're there, no convincing. Move on to the next one. What delineates a complaining session from revival is that when things stink and God's gonna move, people do what? They pray. The Moravians a group in Saxony in 1727, they started a prayer meeting that continued nonstop 24-7 for over 100 years. I did some reading up. I've been fascinating reading about revival and awakenings over the past several weeks as I've been getting ready for this series. But as they account this story about the Moravians, it's like IHOP, eat your heart out, right? There's nothing new under the sun. These jokers were the OGs of the harp and bowl corporate prayer intercession movement, right? But they were talking about this community before. Prior to them getting deeply devoted to prayer, they were a mess, I'm like, cool, they sound like greenhouse. They had all these issues and great people, but dumb decisions. And they were, they were just like ordinary people. They were a mess. And they finally just got desperate because things were getting really bad and things were getting, and they persecution hit is what happened. And then they were like, man, we're just gonna start praying. Lest you think they were just a bunch of, like they floated up in the clouds, ethereal theory people, 65 years into their over 100 year long prayer meeting, they had already sent out 300 missionaries all over the globe. Step one of the pattern of revival, things stink. Step number two, if it's gonna move to an awakening, people pray. I find myself probably more encouraged about the state of the body of Christ than I've ever been in America, at least in the history of my following Jesus, which is about almost 20 years now. I went up to a conference, I got invited somehow, I have no idea how, to a conference in in New York City and it was led by Alpha and this is a group out of the UK that, that, does stuff all over the planet, really, helping to foster conversations with people that are seeking spiritual truth, God, and spirituality. And so there were all these pastors and all these leaders from all over the United States there. And there were some heavy hitters, and there were some, like, really smart people. I mean, I was just, it was one of those rooms, if you've ever been in, where you just want to sit there and listen, because you're like, A, they're super smart. B, I just don't even want to open my mouth because they're so smart, right? One of those rooms. And I've been in rooms, not quite that impressive, but I've been in rooms like that before and I'm always a fly on the wall and, and, and I'm there and I'm listening and, and where Americans typically go is, man, things are messed up, things stink, so we gotta think our way out of this one. This is the American ingenuity at work. This is the downside of our pull yourself up by the bootstraps and make it happen American ingenuity is we think, man, the world's in trouble and things stink, we gotta plan. Here's what was fascinating about this meeting. The overwhelming consensus from all of these very impressive pastors and spiritual leaders was, our plans don't work. Our plans don't work. We have this big church, we have this big ministry, we have, and and we're looking out and people are, all these people we thought were gonna be so amazing, like our plans, our our creativity, all of these incredible things we thought, they're just flashing a pan. And here was the landing point of this conference. We just need prayer. This is a takeaway. I was like, are we, am I, can you pinch me? Am I in America right now? They're like, I think the biggest thing that we have to do in this next season is we've just got to pray. And it was Baptist ministers, we just got to pray. And it was Methodist, we just got to pray. And the Pentecostal guys were already Shondoing all the way out the back door, right? And, uh, 
But they're all like in, uni- in uniformity. They're all like, man, our, we, can't, we can't think out a better plan and we can't have a better strategy. We, we've done all that and look what it's brought us. They said the only hope is that we get on our faces before God and we pray. So we spent the last probably half of this strategic planning, best leaders and thinkers, da, 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 whatever, just on our faces praying. I was like, oh, snap. If that's where we go, we might actually see awakening in America. Because when things stink and God's people pray, well, it brings us to the next step. It brings about a fear of the Lord and repentance. As people pray, the Holy Spirit brings conviction leading to a massive, widespread repentance. You say, Pastor John, why is this so important? Or maybe you're not from a Christian background and you're like, what is re, what, re, huh? What, it's like Christianese, what is that? Why is this such a big deal? Repentance is a core and foundational biblical reality that we actually do all the time. It's a changing of your mind. It comes from a word, a Greek word, metanoia. It's a changing of your mind. First John says it like this. It says that if we confess our sins, it says if you say you're without sin, you lie, because God knows us. He says if you say you're without sin, you're either just lying or you're wildly self-unaware. But if you confess your sins, what does it say? Finish it for me. He is faithful and just to, uh-huh, and very good news. The way of Jesus is not try harder and you can make it happen. The way of Jesus is, oh, by the way, you can't make it happen. You can't try hard enough. So come to Jesus and receive his grace. This word confess, though, biblically is very interesting. This word confess actually literally means to agree with. So if it says if you confess your sins, you're agreeing with, which begs the question, who are you agreeing with? You're agreeing with who? Some of y'all already beat me to the point, but let me get there. We like to toss out, especially in our ecumenical world, the thought of why can't we all just get along? You ever heard that, said that, felt that? Like, what's the problem with people? Why can't we all get along? Here's what we actually mean by that. If everyone else could just see the world like I do, we would be fine. Think about it. Oh, snap. (laughs) That's what we mean. Why can't we all just get along? Because that. If they could just realize that I, if they could just see it like, if they would just... See, the problem with why can't we all get along is that clearly we all want to get along and we don't get along. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Because the problem is we don't need to see the world like you and you don't need to see the world like me. We all need to see the world like God. Like God. Or to use 1 John's language, we all need to agree with God. Confession And repentance is all about agreeing with God. That is confession and that is repentance biblically. Awakening is not God's kingdom now agrees with my elevated sense of moral dignity. Uh, Awakening is not, yeah, Pastor John, see, finally, because I'm all about, and you fill in the blank, whatever your passion pet issue is. I'm all about the unborn, or I'm all about black lives, or brown lives, or indigenous lives, or I'm all about anti-trafficking, or I'm all about personal holiness. When are people just going to wake up and realize that sin? That's not awakening. Awakening, true awakening, biblical awakening, it shifts your focus. It means that you are no longer just concerned with those people over there and those people on the right or those people on the left or those people in that camp or those people in that camp. True awakening means this. You sit before a holy God and realize, oh, snap. 
The problem is me. I need to change. I need to repent. I need to agree with God. And when you have a whole mass of people and a whole mass of the population realizing I need to change, I need to agree with God, that is called awakening. That's revival. Do you understand why it doesn't work if we all just say, why can't we all get us to get along? Because we can't get along. We need a mediator. Guess what his name is? Come on, somebody. In the Welsh revival that happened back in Wales, 1904, I listened to an audio clip. It was horrible quality audio, but goodness gracious, was it compelling. One of the preachers, I can't even remember this dude's name, one of the, one of the preachers who, who was significantly used by God during this time period, he was telling this story, and then they showed an audio clip of him telling this story, and, and, and he was saying, yeah, you know, we were having these meetings, and God just began to move, and we were hitting our knees in prayer and repentance, and, and there was this wave of repentance that swept through Wales. He tells this one story that there was a bunch of young people, they were in their early 20s, they were at a pub, they had just gotten done at the church having this service, and, and people were coming to the Lord, and it was amazing. He said, man, we were, we were done, we were toast. We were finished for the evening. It had been hours. We had shut the doors finally, and all of a sudden, do, 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 do. they hear banging on the door. He's like, oh, no. He's like, and I was sitting there debating, you know, what am I going to do? I'm dead tired. I'm trying to get home to my family. And, and all I hear is this young man at the door, I mean, crying out. He said, I came to find out later this whole group was at a pub. They were there drinking at a pub and all of a sudden they got struck by the spirit of God and the man is just banging on the door, screaming, is there no room for repentance for me? He's like, so I finally realized I should open up the door. <laughs> open the door. He leads them in repentance. They get saved. He closes up the church and goes home. And he said, and this happened over and over and over and over again. How do you know if it's awakening? Well, number one, things stink, check. Number two, the people of God begin to pray fervently and persistently. And number three, you can bank on it. Repentance and fear of the Lord hit not just individuals, but the masses. And when a mass of people come to a point of repentance where they realize, God, I'm not worried about them over there or them over there. I'm worried about me right here. I agree with you. I am in the wrong and I repent. That sparks revival. The next point when it comes to the awakening is revival. This is a move of the Holy Spirit. This is life and heart transformation. This is Holy Spirit filling. I need to be clear that, that when I'm talking revival, I'm not talking about some human invented marketing scheme where you get a bunch of tents together and, and do a revival. You can't decide to do a revival. All right, I understand the nomenclature and amen to all the tent meetings. Just to be clear, when I'm talking biblically, revival, when I'm talking human history, revival, you can't schedule a revival in your planner. Why? Because a revival is a move of God. How many of you try to schedule God before? How'd that work out for you? You can't schedule revival. You can't schedule awakening because a revival and awakening is when God moves. I remember when I went up to college at the University of Florida, which is now suffering in the darkness of sports, lack of victories. But someday, we'll see the light. I went up there to UF and, and I, I plugged in with a little church that, that had maybe 20, 30 college students. Pastor Robert was, was back there. We, we go way back together. And, and then we watched God start moving and, and it was nothing that we weren't doing 
things, it, w- it was God. And, and, and people started coming to the Lord. And for four years, we had an average of over a person a day getting radically transformed, repentance and, and salvation, coming to know Jesus. It's the closest thing to revival I've ever experienced in my lifetime. I'm like, Lord, I saw something. I want to see it again. We would baptize people in, in bathtubs, and we baptized people in swimming pools, and we baptized people. There's Nate. Nate got baptized in a swimming pool in probably 30-degree weather. We were crazy. We are just like, man, God was moving. We would do baptisms, and people would show up because they were like, what is this weird thing happening in this swimming pool? And people would get baptized at our baptisms. People would show up, and they'd get moved by the Spirit of God. They'd end up repenting, and they would get baptized when they came to look at a baptism that they thought was weird, and now they're doing it. I mean, it was wild. It was wild. And I remember this, this massive movement. It, it was revival sparking in people's hearts, but it wasn't just one person or two people or three people. I mean, literally an average of over a person a day for four years. Calling up all their contacts. Man, you gotta come to this thing. It's amazing. They show up to church like, wait a second. Like, yeah, just come in and see, you like it. Incredible. Revival, it starts as a massive, wide-sweeping individual transformation, but it does not stop there. True awakening inevitably leads not just to internal change, and this is an important delineation, but external transformation as well. See, if it is an awakening that I'm talking about and that we've seen throughout human history and that we see here in the book of Acts, it begins internally in revival, but it inevitably leads to an external transformation of righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Remember, the awakening is about the kingdom of God. It's about his name. It's about his glory. It's not about our name. It's not about greenhouse. It's about his kingdom. So what is his kingdom? Psalm says that, that God's found, the foundation of God's kingdom, of his throne, is righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. These are two different Hebrew ideas that have overlap but are distinct in nature. Righteousness would be ethics, what we would think of as morality and ethics today. These are things like sexual morality, like pornography, like an ending of abortion, like sexual abuse, like adultery. This is morality and ethics. This is a part of the kingdom of God. When the gospel takes root in a human heart, inevitably it leads to a shift in righteousness. But biblically, it also leads to a shift in justice. Justice is God's heart for the disenfranchised, God's heart for the marginalized, God's heart for the poor. Justice is an ending of human trafficking. Justice is a heart for black lives and brown lives and immigrant lives and eliminating socioeconomic disparities and pushing for equity and fair treatment for immigrants. When we talk about justice, we are talking about not the world's definition that they have amalgamated from a bunch of different random sources. When it comes to justice, justice is to do what's right in the eyes of the judge who is God. When we talk justice, we want biblical justice, which means it is in Jesus's name, his character, and for Jesus's glory. We've all seen a bunch of good things done not in his name, not in his character, not for his glory, and then a bunch of bad things done in his syllables but not in his name. This is Christian hypocrisy. By the way, that's actually what the Bible talks about when it says taking his name in vain. It means using the name of Jesus, not in the character or for the glory of Jesus. That's a whole separate sermon. We'll save that one for another day. Awakening is not just righteousness and it's not just justice, it is both. It is God's kingdom. It is righteousness and justice. It is heaven touching earth. Let me give you an example of when this has already happened in human history. During the Wesleyan revival, which hit England in the 18th century, 
they tell the story of this massive move of God in and amongst prostitutes. All these prostitutes ended up coming to Jesus. All of these street workers ended up coming to faith in mass. And they were interviewed consistently. And it began very awkwardly. The church was there. They were getting ready for service. And then all of a sudden, a whole crew walked in. They're like, y'all don't go here, do you? And so these prostitutes were inevitably kind of asked like, hey, Welcome to church. Like, you can imagine the wardrobes were a little bit different, right? And so they were like, hey, welcome to church, you know? And what brought you here today? And the prostitutes were like, honestly, we don't have jobs anymore. They were like, the move of God was so widespread, the revival was so widespread that, that they're like, basically, no one has demand for our services any longer. We're just not getting hired. Right? That's righteousness. But check this. They're like, you know, but, but we're here today, not just because of that. I mean, it's not just that we're bored, although, you know, got to find a new job. They said, but we've never been treated with such kindness and love in our entire lives. And a lot of us that were forced into this profession, not because we wanted to, but because we had no other options or we were forced against our will, all of a sudden we're being loved and accept, accepted and welcomed in ways like we've never been before. And so we're here because we don't have a, you know, no one's hiring us, but also we want to know what this is all about. And they started coming to Jesus in masses. That is righteousness and justice on display. That doesn't, by the way, the demand for sex workers does not dry up when one person experiences revival. Do you understand why? When I'm talking awakening, it is a mass of the people and population. All of a sudden, you have internal righteousness and morality and justice, i.e. human trafficking, sliced, gone. You're like, what man, I have a heart, Pastor John, anti-trafficking. Oh, then you should be the biggest prayer proponent for awakening and revival that exists. Because if there's no demand, we've seen it already. This, that's what's so inspiring to me. It's like, I'm not just talking theory. I hope you know, this is all history. Like, go ahead and document. Go home this week and look up revival. Go home and look up the Wesleyan revival, the Welsh revival, the Azusa Street revival. Go home and look it up. This stuff has happened. Some of it's already happened in America. I'm like, Jesus, you did this already. Do it again. Do it again. Lord, do it again. This move of God in a mass of people brings about an internal personal transformation leading to an external societal transformation of righteousness and justice. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine that? I mean, think about that for a second with your coworkers. Think about awakening and revival in your classrooms, in your household, with your family members, in your neighborhood. Think about what that would look like. Think about the human flourishing that would happen as a result. Here's the application this morning. Pray for awakening. We're in the midst of this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Man, I am, I am hoping, I am longing. My heart is so stirred that we would pray for revival. Prayer is the match, man. Light the match. Let the, the challenges of this season, the hardships of this season, the suckiness of this season. Sorry, I had good alliteration. I couldn't resist myself. Let that lead you to pray, Lord, send awakening. God, send revival at my job, with my classmates, in my family, in my neighborhood. Here's the problem. We're, we're doing this exercise in futility. Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Try something different. 
We keep trying to fight hell and brokenness and injustice in the flesh and in our anger and in our offense and in our fear and it's not working. And our world is still broken. Why? Because we don't need little tweaks and modifications. We need a move of God. We need a move of God. These 21 days, we're, we're calling our church family online in the room to a time of consecration and fasting. But the biggest hope is that it would be an extended time of devotion to prayer, seeking his face for awakening, for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is not about some church service. I'm not about to tell you about how, and we've got a big tent and next week we're gonna be out at Western's parking lot. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, we, we, want, we want God to move in such a way, we can't even, I can't even tell you what we're doing. I'm like, we're, we're gonna show up and God's gonna move. You remember a few services we've had here? You talk about wetting your appetite for revival. We've had a few services right here at Western High School well, I basically just gave up by the end of service. I was like, church, I don't know what the heck's happening, but this is great. I love y'all. I'm gonna get off the stage and go pray. I'm like, God, I want more of that. Please make us irrelevant. Please make me irrelevant. Lord, I want you to move. It's not some church service. It's God's people claiming God's promises on their knees. It's God's people claiming God's promises on their knees in desperation of faith. Pray for an awakening for a move of God amongst the masses. And then number two, let it start with you. It's so tempting when we hear any sort of a message regarding conviction or awakening to say, yeah, and God, I want you, nah, don't go there so quick. Scripture says judgment begins where? In the house of God, with the people of God. Say, Lord, I want an awakening and I want you to start it with me. David did this in Psalm 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. God, we, Holy Spirit, we invite you in. I wanna see an awakening. I wanna see revival. And I know that if you're gonna do it, it's gonna have to start in me before you do it through me. So God, come on in and renovate. This house is yours. My heart is yours. Fear of the Lord that leads to repentance, that leads to personal revival, then righteousness and justice on the outside. And if it hits a whole mass, whew, we're in for something amazing. Lord, start with us. I'm gonna invite the worship team and we're gonna close in a final chorus. And I have some specific things I felt like God put on my heart that he wants to do this morning. But I'll close with this story. We were sermon prepping maybe a few months ago and, and th there was a guy there who... Uh, he was telling a story. He, he was visiting from out of town and he came in. He's also a, a youth pastor and he was coming in just to hang with us for the day. We were doing sermon prep together and, and he's like, man, I, I remember I had this crazy experience. He's like, I, I, was, I was visiting a friend in New York City and we were staying in that you know, little tiny apartments and, and, but we we're in kind of a rough area. He lives in a rougher area in New York City. And so he said, I wasn't quite used to that. And so um, as I was sleeping on the couch, which you know, New York City apartments, he's like the couch was like right there to the door. So like I was functionally sleeping in the doorway. And, um, and all of a sudden it's like 11, pushing midnight. And I hear this like, like screeching kind of noise. And he's like, okay, you know good. Start quoting armor of God passages real quick. <laughs> Lord is a shield to those who walk uprightly. What are any Bible verses about protection? He said, but it, it, it kept happening. And as the evening moved on, it, it started getting louder and louder. He says, so finally, John, I went into the kitchen, no joke. And I grabbed like a butcher knife <laughs> and I'm sleeping, not sleeping, laying on the couch with the butcher knife, solid hour. And I'm thinking someone's about to roll up in the place. I don't know what I'm going to do with a butcher knife. Like, I'm dead. Like, that's what it is. He's like, so, but I'm there. He said, and I finally realized in my buddy's apartment, 
they had one of those little like old school space heater things and that like scratching, screeching, crazy noise. He's like, the, the, the danger that I was foreseeing was not coming from the outside. He said, the danger was actually on the inside. And I couldn't shake that story as I thought about this morning as we get ready to dive full on into this series about awakening and revival, asking God to move in our hearts and in our lives and in our friends and in our neighborhoods and in our families in incredible and unprecedented ways because the first impotent to that happening and the biggest danger does not exist on the outside, it exists on the inside. We bemoan, we get frustrated by the brokenness out there and by the people out there. And why can't they see and why can't they just realize and I wish they would just see it. And the reality is it's not the brokenness out there that is our core issue. It's the brokenness in here. And I'm praying that awakening would start with a move of repentance and fear of the Lord right here in our hearts in our church family, in our body, where we say like David, God, search me and know me, test my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. And then God, lead me forward into the way of the everlasting, into eternal life, into your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Because the same way that we can't fix the brokenness out there and all of our best efforts, we can't fix the brokenness in here either. The solution is Jesus. We need revival in our worlds, but it has to start in our hearts. Scripture tells us it's available to any who call out to Jesus in humility, repentance, and desperation. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now, Lord, as we get ready to respond to even what we've experienced this morning. Lord, your presence has been with us all from the very beginning, all through the music, all through the worship component of this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and move? We ask you to move. We want you to move. We need you to move. I had a different ending planned and I felt like I was supposed to scrap it and go a different direction as we were singing together this morning. I feel like God wants to do two things, repentance and miracles. Repentance and miracles. I felt like God just challenged me in, in a very jovial, fatherly way like he likes to do with me. He's like, son, so you want, son, you want to sing about it or you want to be about it? What do you, you tell me. What do you want to do? I'm like, I want to be about it. He's like, all right, here's what I want to do. I think this is what God wants to do. Repentance and miracles. Let me break those two things down. Repentance is a shifting of the mind. If you came in here disconnected from God, far from God, maybe you're from a different faith background or no faith background, and you want to make a shift, you realize this is true. Jesus is Lord. You need something different in your life. Let me just tell you what the suffering different is. It's Jesus. Him is Lord. Him is leader. Him is CEO. Him is director of your script. If you know you need to respond in repentance, maybe you're already a Jesus follower, but even now the Holy Spirit has highlighted or begun highlighting specific components of your walk that are not lining up with who you know he's called you to be and what he's called you to do. I want to invite you to repent. It's a beautiful word. It's a hope-filled word. It's a chance for him to revive, to bring life again on the inside. And as we close in this final song, the altars are open. I just want to invite you to come forward. If you need to respond to repentance wherever you're at on your spiritual faith journey, I want to invite you to respond. Number two, miracles. Specifically, I felt like God wanted to heal back pain, chronic anxiety, and anxiety.
any hopeless relationships. Those could be familial relationships. Those could be work relationships. Those could be marital relationships. Healing when it comes to back pain, anxiety, or hopeless relationships. I think God wants to begin some miracles this morning. So stand with me to your feet. If I could get our prayer partners up here in the front. These are not superheroes. They're just ordinary people like you who love Jesus and they're amazing and they'd love to pray with you. If you would like to respond for either repentance or for miracles, I think God wants to do some things, but he's not gonna force it. It's up to you. I wanna invite you to come as we sing this out together. Let's do it. Cause there's no prison wall you can't break through. No mountain you can't move all things are possible there's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night oh you here in this space for a moment. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. This will kind of be serve as the official close, if you will. If you want to stay and linger and pray and press in, I'm going to jump down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you. We've watched God do healing miracles in people's physical bodies, in their minds, mental health stuff. We'd love to pray with you. If God's stirring your heart for either repentance or miracles, we'd love to pray. Don't leave without giving God a shot. Please give him a shot. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray your blessing over your people. God, bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your shalom, shalom, perfect peace in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Love you. We'll see you in microchurches and back here next week. Let's worship.